This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Practical spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we are going to start with something that's a, that's a really powerful thing that I think will change all of us. Because there's, there's an issue with us, and that's that, that, you know, we're all cool with the fact that we're getting the factory reset on Yom Kippur, but we're also kind of riddled with resignation that we're going to be right back in our old stuff within days, if not weeks. So how are we going to hold on to all this? So it's kind of hard. Like, I think if you're, if you're an observant Jew, or at least believe in the, the path of the observant Jew, I think you understand that we're getting a factory reset. Like, God's going to reset everything. And for those of you who are scared, he's not going to give you another year because you're either raised Hasidic or you're Sephardic or something. He's going to give you another year, that just like he gave you last year, which you blew, you know, and the year before that, meaning you've been blowing it for years, and he just keeps seeming to go with you. So, so you might as well start enjoying Yom Kippur and stop shaking or shaking like a leaf on a tree, like you're going to get killed by God or something. God's got infinite patience, especially for you. No offense. But the, but we're, I mean, think about it. Like, I'm the rabbi. How much, how many seconds of the 61,000 sec, 61, seconds an hour did I actually clock concentrating on God? How many of those, let's say yesterday, if we so, clocked my 61,000 seconds of the day, how many of those seconds do you think got dedicated to the thing that was, the, the being that was actually creating me? Like, if, if, I, if I were creating you, man, you would not take your eyes off me for a second. Okay, but, but when it comes to God, you can't see him. So we just immediately space out. And you, know, you want to know something? That could be your biggest sin. That could easily be your biggest sin. That can make eating pork look like nothing. Yeah, that can make watching porn look like nothing. Like, like the fact that you ignore God, like we're, and we all do it. I'm, doing, I, I'm the one confessing here. This is my confession. I ignore God all the time. And, and that's, that's the painful fact. That you can't, we can't see our benefactor. So, are we busted for that? We busted for ignoring God? No. Who set up the system that God's hidden? God. So, who's busted? He's busted. God's busted for hiding. Yeah, you should say, God. You know, you want me to connect more. I demand some revelation. <laughs> Give me some revelation. You want. You want me don't you want me dot my eyes and crossing my T's in Judaism? Make yourself a little more clear. I can't see you. And if I can't see you, why do I gotta be doing all that stuff? I got a lot of clarity. You know, I had a lot of clarity once when some big dude I did not qualify anything about his nationality. Some big dude put a gun up to my head and put me down on my hands and knees and would have pulled the trigger had a car not driven down that alley right behind us, right then. Okay, I was listening because I had a lot of clarity that I should just be following orders right now. But when it comes to God, we don't have that kind of clarity. And he's the one who hid himself. And why did he hide himself? He hid himself so we'd have free will. Why would he hide himself so we had free will? Knowing full well we'd be blowing it most of the time. Uh, If not like 99% of the time. Because think about it, the only point he made the world wasn't so you keep Shabbat. The whole point he made the world wasn't that you'd make blessings. The point he made the world was not that you'd keep kosher. The point he made the world was that you would recognize God. You you would have a relationship with a being that you can't see, touch, smell. 
you know, apprehend it all. The whole point was for you to have a relationship with that being. Well, he can make himself more clear, but then you lose the ability to, to earn the relationship. Relationships are only powerful if they're earned. I mean, think about our creation. How powerful are the relationships you have to, let's say, the wilderness? Raise your hand if you feel it's pretty powerful. My, me, I'm, it's very powerful. That's where I'm heading right after this class. I will be in the woods. Okay? So, very powerful relationship. To, to the wilderness. So, okay, so what's in the wilderness? There's rocks. Uh, I mean, people do have pet rocks. You know, they're cheap. And, uh, and then there's, of course, plants and stuff. People have relationships with plants, especially potheads. And uh, pe- pe- people have a relationship with plants. You know, they have pet, they're chia pets. You know, little did we know we'd be eating the chia seeds in 2018. But once upon a time, there were these chia pets where they put the seeds inside something and they grew out and it made a little, look like a little, uh, I don't know, like a little... Gerbil, yeah, gerbil or something. Yeah, it was, a beard, no. it had a beard. I mean, maybe yours had a beard. Oh yeah. Mine had like fur yeah, coming out the back. Yeah. So anyway, but like, what kind of relationship can you have with plants beyond like general boredom? And then you've got animals, like the animal kingdom. You can have a relationship with animals. You know, cats are a little snobby. Dogs. Dogs are like loyal to a fault. Dogs are like. Everyone keeps looking. David and I teach the class together. Okay, you understand? He's my student. How many years are you my student? Twenty nine. So those of you who think like I'm getting interrupted, I'm not. We teach together. Am I interrupting? You're not interrupting. I just explained. No, I explained your constant interjections. Now, anyway. He rocks. He rocks. Where you're good. We at? Shh, shh. No, no. You're good. Now, shh, shh. dogs, dogs are dogs are loyal to a fault. Okay, dogs. You can drop your dog. Like try to abandon a dog. You can abandon the dog. You can kick it in the behind as you knock it out of your car. And I don't suggest doing that, by the way. And Torah prohibits it. But you can do it miles from your house. You can do it in another town. It will find its way back. They're loyal to a fault. It's not a very powerful relationship. Although I totally get dog owners and cat owners when you haven't gotten married. If you haven't gotten married yet, I understand. Shh, Devin. Your job is deep breathing for the next two minutes. Deep breathing. Two minutes. That, that's not breathing. Two, seriously, seriously, Devin, relax. The um, <laughs> I understand people have pets who were expecting to get married at a certain age and didn't. I get that. Um, I do advise, though, for women to, to, if you have a pet and it's been keeping you company, but you're still not getting married, it might be the pet's the problem. So give your pet away to your best friend for like a year until you get married and then bring your pet back. And it's just something to watch out for. It's also platonic relationships are also deadly for getting engaged for women. So platonic relationships are also like, be careful of, of those. Not for men. Not for men so much. More for women. Okay, here we go. Men don't have platonic relationships. Now, <laughs> let's get back to business. Now, the, the point of power in a relationship is choice. There's either choice in a relationship or there's no power in the relationship or it's some kind of weird relationship where someone's getting overpowered. 
But that's not a relationship. That's weird stuff. That's stuff you put people behind bars for. Okay? Because relationships are only powerful when they're chosen. Chosen relationships. So God gave us free will. But this is God's problem. If you haven't been involved in living a life that's clear with your relationship with your benefactor, i.e. with God, who's creating you. If you haven't been living your life that way, that's not your problem. That's God's problem. Now, could you have bumped up your game? I'm asking all of you right now. Could you have bumped up your game this last year? Yeah, you could have bumped up your game. A lot or a little? Probably somewhere between a little and a medium. Because you know what it takes to bump up your game? It takes a lot of things. One of them would be a Rebbe. And raise your hand if you are directly connected to a spiritual dynamo. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. So that was about, of the 30 of you, that was about four. Okay, that's very good. And you notice the difference? Oh, uh, shh. You notice the difference? Okay. I didn't really look around. No, you notice the difference in your life? Yeah. It's a massive difference. Because you're connected to someone who's got much more revelation going on. And you're connected to that person. So that person's like walking with God. At least compared to you, he's walking with God. He probably feels like a total idiot compared to his Rebbe. I mean, your Rebbe, compared to his Rebbe, probably feels like he's, he's, every time you call him Rebbe, he's probably humiliated thinking about who his Rebbe was before his Rebbe passed. And so, and so number one is having a Rebbe. Only four of the 30 of you, or five of the 30 of you, have a Rebbe. So you have to have a direct access to someone who's highly spiritual. It could be a man or a woman. The next is, um, I'm not going to give a full list of what it takes, but, but one thing it takes a lot of is Torah study. Another thing is you have to live in a community of spiritually dedicated people. And, and, and I hate to say this, but being very observant and even learning Torah full time does not make you a spiritual person. You know, stone me for saying it. But being someone who's very observant and is focusing all their time and energy on... Torah study does not make you spiritual. It doesn't make you spiritual. It makes you, it makes you studious for the Torah and probably a little OCD on the observance. So the, not that we're, not, I'm observing everything too, but I observe everything from a very chill position. Very chill. I'm serious about stuff. Last night I just spent 450 shekels on an esrog. Okay, and that's a piece of fruit. Okay, and how many pieces of fruit cost 450 shekels? Uh, how much is that in dollars, 450 shekels? 120, 130 bucks. Uh, let's see here. That's how it goes 130 bucks for, for a piece of fruit. And how much is that piece of fruit going to be worth in uh, two weeks from now, after Sukkot? You couldn't even sell it. It's not, it's, it's not for sale. Okay. It's not for sale, Francis. So the it's going to be worthless coming up. So like I'm serious about this stuff, but I'm super chill around it. I have to say that I'm breathing better today knowing I've already got it. Because finding your estrogue is like finding a spouse. It's got to be just right. And thank God over the years I've finally got, like I've reached the point where someone else finds it for me. I have a shatchan. I have a shatchan. I have a shatchan for my Esra, a matchmaker. So he showed me three options, and I chose this one. There's many different options. You mentioned shatchan. Breathing, breathing, breathing. Breathing, breathing. Okay. Now, 
all my comments from like students overseas are going to be like, who is in your class, man? <laughs> all right, turn the camera one time. Bye. Say hi, Devin. Hello, Devin. Hello. Okay, okay, you're... Okay, let's get let's get back to it. We are we are here to have this relationship with the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe put the veils on big time. It didn't start this way. Adam and Eve didn't have that kind of veiling. We have intense veiling. When they ate from the fruit, or soon after they ate from the fruit, the veils came on. Now, why did the veils come on after they ate? Why did the veils come on soon after they ate from the fruit? The answer is because when God asked them, what'd you do? Like, all he said was, what'd you do? As if he didn't know. <laughs> he knew what they did. But he gave them the opportunity to own it. Own it. Yay from the fruit. Just take responsibility for having blown it. Because I gave you one rule. Don't eat from the fruit. And they blew the one rule. And ate from the fruit. All they had to do, she, he had to say, I'm so sorry, God, I ate from the fruit. And she had to say, I'm so sorry, God, I ate from the fruit. But instead, what happened was, Adam said, she made me do it. And she said, the snake made me do it. Everyone was saying, he went that away. And what happened in the end was, God said, oh, you want to hide? Let me show you what hiding's all about. And he just goes, And a world that used to be, that was that is called Yitzira, pops into a world that we live in called Asiya. And next thing you know, Adam and Eve are out of Yitzira, or out of the garden. And they're in this world, which is called the world of Asiya, our physical world, where the veils are thicker. All the worlds are basically filterings of God's light. So they lived in a much less filtered environment. When they hid, God hid. And now we're inside this world. And all God's asking all of us on Yom Kippur is where were you? Not where were you in terms of someone you might compare yourself with. It's just where were you compared to where you could have bumped up your game in the last year. You're only being measured against yourself, always. You get that? You're always being measured against yourself. What kind of relationship could you have had this last year that you'd like to have this year? And take responsibility to go for it. Get yourself in there. Like, jump in to that kind of relationship. Now, I mentioned having a Rebbe, I mentioned learning Torah, I mentioned being around holy people, I mentioned mitzvahs on the side, just being involved in your mitzvahs in a big way. You know, when I think about the 85% of Jews who don't keep Torah today, I imagine the majority of them, if I asked them, would say they don't, they don't really feel anything. But that would be like That'd be like me asking a guy three, bo- three blocks from the surf spot we've been out. I surf, so, so I, you know, I, I just had an awesome session. The waves were four to six feet. And we were just shredding it for like the last three hours. And then I'm, I'm in town later getting a beer, and I'm speaking to this guy who's in town. And I said, how's it going? And he's like, you know, I don't... I'm not really feeling it. I'm thinking of actually booking my trip to go back, or go back early. And I'm looking at this guy like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not feeling it because you're not in it. You're not. You're not here. You're not immersed in it. 
So is someone coming from a secular neighborhood with no real rabbi in their life, not necessarily involved in the constant, constant flow of Jewish, you know, the Jewish life cycle, daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally. Like, if you're not involved in all that, you're not in an environment that promotes all that, well, no, duh, you don't feel it. What, do you, what would you have felt? I know people in it who don't feel it. I've gotten that complaint. Raise your hand. No one's filming you right now. Raise your hand if you've been in it and you're not feeling it. Okay. So I got a hint for all of you, by the way. For those of you, it's going to be really good for you. Is, um, you ever tried falling asleep? No. What happens when you try falling asleep? Yeah, you stay up. So spirituality is the same as falling asleep. (laughs) Meaning, don't try. Stop trying. It's just a matter of stop trying. Like, you imagine me trying to have a relationship with my wife? That's not going to be very helpful when she's sitting right across from me with a candle lit. And we both have, like, a glass of wine. And we're sitting in a restaurant, and there's someone on violin. If I'm trying to relate to my wife, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing. I, what do I have to stop doing? What do I have to stop doing? Trying. I have to stop trying. The second I stop trying, we're, we're relating. But people always fall into this trying thing. I mean, it's very Western to try. And, and it's very, you know, like acquisition-oriented. It's very capitalistic. It's like to try to have a relationship. And where is my relationship? And how high is it? And measuring it and measuring myself compared to others and all that. That's, that's garbage. The relationship is right here, right now. Even right here, right now. Everyone take a deep breath and experience your relationship with God right here, right now. You ready? You can close your eyes. You can keep them open. He's, he's there whether or not you have your eyes open or not. Okay, again, inhale. And now open your eyes because you're not in your Yom Kippur service yet. Keep your eyes open. Notice you're not in Yom Kippur. You're not in your Yom Tif clothes. You're not all ready for Yantif. And here he is. So what, he's going to be, you know, he could be less here on Yantif because you're so busy trying. You get that? Like you could actually mess up your Yom Kippur more than this connection. So go back to simple. Simplify it. Just get yourself in the relationship without having to try and stop postponing the relationship till, till Kol Nidre. The relationship's going on all the time. The only difference between right now and tomorrow night is tomorrow night, God is literally taking the etch-a-sketch of your last year, and he's just going like... <laughs> he's just erasing the year and, and just putting you a total clean slate for a whole new year. He's just hitting the reset button. That's the only difference between now and then. So the connection's right here, right now. It's not something we have to wait for. Now, is God nearer at certain times? Whatever that means. So as far as like literal proximity, no. He's not nearer. But is he more available? Yeah, there are times where God's more available and there are locations where God's more available and there are spirits that have more that God gives more availability to 
Because everything in creation is space, time, and spirit. That's what the world has. Space, time, and spirit. Spirit you might call consciousness. But space, time, and spirit is the world. Right? You got space, you got time, and you got, you know, the spirits in the material world. We are spirits in the material world. Our spirits in the material. We are spirits in the material world. Okay, so we're all ghosts in the machine. Spirits in a material world. And in space and time, in spirit, in these three things, is spaces that are have a thinner veil. One of those is Jerusalem. It's got a thinner veil. Um, when you're doing a mitzvah, the veil thins. When you're doing prayer, the veil thins. And then there's time. Yom Kippur is probably the very thinnest day of the year. And Purim's probably the very thickest day of the year. But it goes totally translucent. Did I say translucent? Totally transparent. It's a very thick day. That's why it can't be on Shabbat. You know, Purim lands on Shabbat. We've got to like spread the mitzvahs out everywhere around Shabbat. But not on Shabbat. Shabbat, we, I think the only thing we do on Shabbat is, I forget, what do we do on Shabbat? When Purim hits Shabbat, it only happens in Jerusalem, by the way. It's a three-day holiday. I'm not going to go into it now, but it's amazing what happens. Purim, literally, like you click on it, and it splits into three days. Oh, yeah, we say Alanisim in the bless, in the davening and in the blessings. And you have to be drunk for three days straight. It's insane. And you guys just can't believe it. The only thing better, maybe, than the three-day sh- Purim is Purim that hits Shabbat. That's particularly high, and that's what's going to happen this year. Meaning, meaning you're just parting and parting and parting and parting. Next thing you know, you got someone's hands in your pockets. And you're like, what the hell's going on? And what's going on is the owner of the house that you wound up in, it's probably like the 10th house you've fallen into, has taken it on his responsibility to remove cell phones and money and wallets. And every home has like a bucket of like people's muksa, the stuff you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos. And of course, half the other people wake up the next morning with everything in their pockets, you know, because they were in a park somewhere <laughs> flat on their face, you know. And uh, anyway, but we just go st- in Jerusalem. You go straight into Shabbat, straight in. Meaning, 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 we did we did Mariv last year. I think at two in the morning. I think when did we? I was asleep under Shabbat. Oh, were you? Uh-huh. I think Mariv was at two in the morning because you're not allowed to pray until you're sober. And so we, we washed around noon, and we benched at, I think, 1.45 or something. It was an 11 and a half hour meal. <laughs> and we had also paraded around a bit. Like, we had been in other places you know, throughout. I had a giant Indian headdress, and at one point when we were parading up to a shul called Mayanot, which was going to have, like, a really rambunctious Kabbalat Shabbat, course we were too drunk to do Mari but we did Kabbalah Shabbat the um, <laughs> my kids begged me not to wear my headdress to shul <laughs> you know like just put on your strimal please like don't wear a giant I mean I was 
decked out, like full on Indian medicine chief, you know? And they were like, please. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, please. And they finally said, my daughters were like, we want to get married one day. <laughs> I'm like, fine. Fine, I'll wear my strangle. And I'm not, I'm not taking off my kimono, you know? Anyway, so I didn't have a kimono. I had like full robes. I was a medicine chief. That, that's not coming off. Now, um, back to back to Yom Kippur. And by the way, those two days are right. This is called the full name is Yom Hakippurim, and Purim is called Purim, right? So what's it mean, Kippurim? What's it mean? Like Purim. I mean, this is the holiest day of the year, but it's like Purim. Purim is really even holier. Purim can't be on Shabbat because, because it's got to be opaque. It has to be like where God's hidden. That's why God's name doesn't show up in the Megillah. It's got to be where it's hidden. It's weekdays. It's got to be on a weekday. But the thing is, is the veil goes transparent. And all of a sudden you realize God was in everything. He's the king. He's the king inside of everything. In fact, every time the Megillah of Purim says the word king, but it doesn't say Ahasuerus, it's talking about God. God's hidden in the book by the king. And these are the garments of the king. Now, going way back to the beginning of the class, I had mentioned that a lot of us are a bit resigned to the fact that we'll pro- that it's hard to do teshuva when you feel like you're just going to fall back to your old ways. You get that? It's hard for us to go there. So I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, just spend the, the rest of our time, so we only have a few minutes anyway, but the rest of our time is just describing how you can do teshuva even though you may fall later. And two is how to commit to the teshuva experience, how to really get in the commitment. Okay? So let's start with, uh, with even though you may fall later. Even though you may fall later, is no reason not to do full teshuva on Yom Kippur. It would be like someone who says, you know what, I'm just going to get sweaty and smelly again, so I'm not going to shower. My car is just going to get dirty again, so I'm not going to wash it. My fridge is just going to get empty again, so I'm not going to buy food. We just don't live like, like my teeth are going to get stuff on them, so I might as well not brush. We don't live life like that. We, we have that thought a little bit. I mean, believe me, I've pushed off washing my car. Because, you know, it's like we're coming up to vacation. In Israel, you're always on the, you know, the four-wheel drive roads. And why bother? You know, it's just going to get covered in dirt again. So we, we are sometimes uh, blamed for that, but in general, we do shower, even though we're going to stink later. And, and that's okay. We're going to do a lot better going into Yom Kippur. Our year is going to come out a lot better going into Yom Kippur and coming out of there committed to a life connected to God and Torah, mitzvahs. Our year is going to come out a lot better committed. Will we fall? For sure we'll fall. We're all going to fall. And we'll fall and we'll get up. You know, it's like parking your car on someone's bumper, which is kind of only an Israeli thing, but 
the uh, you know in Israel when you park your car, you tap the car behind you, and you tap the car in front of you, and it's kind of like, you know, when it stops tapping, you're you're all set. Yeah. In America, for years, they've had beepers on their cars. So it, you know, it beeps like beep 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 beep. beep. So so ours bump. <laughs> yeah, we have, they're called bumpers. You know. Now, imagine me parking my car in front of some, like, West Los Angeles boutique cafe. And I, like, I pull, you know, I'm borrowing my dad's car, so I pull my dad's car up, I go back, I bonk. I go forward, I bonk. Meanwhile, there are people sitting in the cafe right now. This lady's got her Lex- Lexus. You know, the other's got his little, you know, Porsche Boxster in front. And I'm just like, bonk, bonk. And they're just like they're freaking out. I mean, they're they're like jumping out of their table, running around to the entrance of the restaurant. And now, but the thing is, is I get a phone call right on my last bonk going back, and I forgot to pull off her bumper. I just put it in park. So anyway, I get out of my car and I'm on the phone. I got these two people screaming at me, and and I'm like, just one second, I'm on the phone. Like, what could be that important? finished my phone call and she's like you hit my car and I'm like I did not and she's like you hit my car I just watched you and she goes back to the back bumper I'm on the car and she's like come over here you're on my car and I'm like yeah that's, it's a bumper yeah. and why, why do you think they call it bumper I mean the root of the word is bump you know I didn't hit your car I bumped your car with the bumper okay that's that's fair game you know, she's like, what are you? you know? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm a rabbi from Israel. And she's like, oh, Israel. Everyone's Jewish in West LA. She's like, now it all makes sense. Okay. Can you just pull your car off my bumper, please? I'm just making all this up as I go. But the, the, point, of, the point is, is that... The point is, is that you don't, if you do hit a car, sorry, if you do bump a car while parking, you do not put in park on their bumper, right? But isn't that what we all do? I want you to know something. When you're feeling joyous and close to God, what are the chances of you sinning compared to when you're feeling kind of down and distant? What are the chances of sinning? You got a new sin available. Yeah, there you are. A pop-up ad has hit. That could lead to oh, Amsterdam, and 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 you're feeling down emotionally and distant to God compared to feeling joyous and close to God. Do you realize the difference in the likelihood of clicking that thing? They're equal. Yeah, they're far from equal. Not, your free will changes depending on your state. So, what would be considered an avera at one point might not be now. Oh, we're not discussing what's considered an avera. I'm just talking about your likelihood of clicking. You said good. But your likelihood of clicking, which one? If you're feeling down and you're wiped out, the likelihood of clicking is high, right? Now, there in the free will system, there's a dark side that's job is to pull you down. Because otherwise, you I mean you have to have some kind of gravitational pull, or you'd just be constantly like with your head stuck to God, like you just like bonk. You have to have something pulling you down. It's just got to be. It's part of physics or metaphysics. If you don't have something dark side pulling you down, you just always be chilling with God. And there's no free will that way. I mean, it's not just that God hid himself. He set up a drive away from him. There's a drive away from God. 
Now, that drive away from God is there to get you to do the wrong things, to earn, not that you'll do them, just to give you the reward for choosing the right things. That drive, which we call the Yetzirah, is your best friend. Because without it, there'd be no reward. You're literally, the currency of your, when you get into the next world, your currency will only be based on the Yetzirah. So you should put your arm around it I mean, don't get too close. But put your arm around it and give it a big thank you. Because the muscles you use to go away from that voice towards, you know, or away from God, the muscles you use to get anti-gravity and move up towards God, that's your reward. Otherwise, there's no reward. So your Yetzirah is your best friend, but you're not supposed to listen to it. You're supposed to hear it. You're supposed to feel the pull, and then you're supposed to bump yourself up. Well, guess what? We have emotions, and emotions have a lot to do with the way we choose. And what the dark side does is it tries to get you to do the wrong thing, not because you doing one wrong thing means anything, because it doesn't mean anything. You doing one wrong thing means zippo in the big picture. But what happens when you do the wrong thing, and then you start feeling down on yourself, and then you start feeling distant, all of a sudden you start clicking away, like you go spastic, and you just start clicking on every wrong thing. The dark side's interest is not for you to do one wrong thing, it wants you to park on the bumper. It wants you to go backwards, bang the bumper, put it in park, and just sit there, and isn't it true? That when we've, isn't it true that when we've fallen, that was nothing compared to where we wound up a week or two later? And this is why it's so important that when you fall, you rise. When you fall, you f- I'm down, I get up. And that's why we have this song, I'll teach it to you now, everyone can sing. Men sing louder, so, la- so ladies can sing, ready? When I fall, I rise. When I fall, I rise. Track. When I fall, I rise. When I fall, I rise. Everybody, let's go. When I fall, you're not singing. I rise. I'm watching you. When I fall, I rise. When I fall, one more strong. I rise. When I fall, I rise. And that's your motto. Is that you, it's not that you're not going to fall. The question is, can you get up? Can you get up? I'm sure we could YouTube like amazing boxing matches where the guy just got blown to smithereens and just like, Phew. and he gets up and wins the match. You know, I'm sure there's plenty more where he didn't get up, but the guy who fell and got up, like Rocky, get up, Rocky, get up, Rocky. You know, there was an old boxing movie called Rocky. And there was this old coach, I forget what that guy's name was, but uh, what was his name? Uh, what? Mickey. Mickey! You know, you imagine Rocky gets knocked out by like Apollo Creed or Mr. T, and Rocky's just like... <laughs> you know, and he hits the mat, and it's just like... <laughs> you know, on the mat. Blood. And can you imagine Mickey? Because Mickey in this analogy is God. 
Can you imagine Mickey? He just like walks out of the auditorium, of the boxing auditorium. Does he walk out? No, he's pounding the mat. He's like banging the mat. He's like, get up, Rocky. Get up. You know, there are cameras on him. You know, you can see Rocky's face, blood's oozing out. And there's Mickey, this old Irish looking guy. He's like, get up, Rocky. Get up. And that's God for you when you fall. When you fall, God's just, he's Mickey. He's just saying, get up. And he's so saying, get up, that he's going to reset you tomorrow night. Totally. You're getting factory reset. There's a reason why we get that, by the way, because Gentiles obviously could complain. You know, why do the Jews get a factory reset once a year? Well, we got to die after 70 years. And the answer is very simple. I'll just answer quickly. It's because what what a Jew can do wrong inadvertently in a matter of a week, a Gentile couldn't do in their lifetime. Meaning what happens is we can get so much... So much spiritual plaque in our arteries, in our spiritual arteries, in one week of blowing it, that of making bad spiritual mistakes, that the whole planet could literally fall through space from the weight of the world's problems. I heard it said about the weight of the world's problems is enough to make the ball fall right through space. Okay? So, the the ball could just fall right through space. But God sees, like, the planet's getting heavy and comes Yom Kippur and God just goes, bang, presses the button and the whole Jewish people just get go through the car wash and they're just like, rinsed clean of everything they had done wrong that year. Now, I shared with you that I'm going to give you two ways. One is do tshuva because you take showers, okay? That's number one. Do tshuva because you take a shower. When you fall, you rise, you're going to have a much better year doing full tshuva. Yeah, the more likelihood you'll be able to keep up whatever you take on. It's going to be much better if you just go into it like that. The next I'm thing, I'm taking showers all day long. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a studio with it. I'm like, in right. and out, in and out, like at least thirty seconds. The next one is the distinction between decide the OCD and, like, and commit. There's a distinction between decide and commit, and you usually think when you decide on something, you're committed, but then you see later, you weren't so committed, were you? So you made a decision, you thought you were committed, that's what this middle area is here, is you, you made your decision, it's getting blurred with commitment, you think you're in, but you ain't in. You're not in at all, why? Because decision comes from reasons, reasons lead to decisions, right? You can't make a decision, like you came to this class, right? And you had other options. But what happened was this class won. That's why the word decide comes from the word to eliminate. Pesticide, homicide, genocide, suicide. It means to eliminate. What happened? You had, let's say, three, four options what to do with the sour. You eliminated all those other options because for some reason you perceived, and that's the job of marketers, create perception, is you perceived that this class would be worth it more than the other options. And that's why you're here. So I can guarantee you, you decided to be here. Now, if you got a phone call after you sat down in my class, and someone said, hey, you know, if you can get to Ben Yehuda and King George right now, there's some dude giving away a thousand bucks to like, you know, every like third person and you can just keep getting back in line. Yeah. So now, would you be sitting in this classroom? No, I'd be sitting at 10 guys. So some people are nodding, one person nodding, the rest of you are just like, hell no. Why? Because new reasons came, because you were not committed to the class, you had decided to come to this class. 
And this is the way your life looks, though. I'm sad to tell you all that this is why your life looks the way it does today. It's because you think you're in commitment mode, but you're always in decision mode. And new reasons are always coming up, and you are fair-weathered. When the weather's good, you're there, and when the weather goes sour, you're gone. People live this way even in their own marriages. You realize, like, at this point in my life, I finally realize there is nothing my wife can say to me, and wives can say things, especially if they're Jewish and Ashkenazi. <laughs> Add to that Hungarian. Hungarian. You know, you're, you're going to get it. So, so she can say stuff to me, and I'm just looking at that little lady, and I'm just like... Because I'm in. There's no reasons that are going to get me to go to Mincha for three hours or go to the bathroom for two hours or something. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not running away from a lady. You know, the only reason a woman would ever attack her husband anyway is she's feeling insecure. So what's running away going to do? Make her feel better or more insecure? More insecure. How about I fight back? Should I fight all the things she said? How's that going to make her feel? You're not going to be able to peel her off the floor with a spatula. I'm committed to that lady. I don't let reason stop me. My father, same thing. He used to make me feel like I was nine years old. <laughs> How long do you spend on the phone with someone who makes you feel like you're nine? Not very long. Because that's enough of a reason to hang it up. And sadly, many psychologists would stamp it. Yeah, you need a little distance from him. That's a little abusive. Meanwhile, the only reason my father was calling me and calling me out on whatever financial irresponsible planning I do was because he loves me. He loves me. My father called you lately about your finance. My father calls you. Why is that man in California keep calling me? The man loves me, but I couldn't see it because I was living in decision mode. I lived here. I was fair-weathered. I was wishy-washy. I let reason stop me. Now when my father calls me, I literally cry while he talks to me about my financial planning or saying, like, what in the world are you doing? And, you know, because he, somehow I, he has privy to my my chase card and my bank account, which generally aren't matching up nicely. So, so, so he's like, he'll go in on me and I've cried tears. And he's like, are you crying? Cause we're like on Skype or something. Are you crying? He's like looking into the camera. Are you crying? No crying. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm crying. He's like, why are you crying? I'm like, what? Like 45 year old man in the world. Has anyone calling him like this? Like, you love me so much. And he started crying. And now we're both crying. And my wife comes in and is like, she can't believe this. Because she never seen me talk to him for more than five seconds for 20 years. And all of a sudden, like, I don't even get off with him anymore. I'll, I'll miss everything just to talk to him. Because he's my father. Bring it up to God now. It's Yom Kippur. What mode have you been in in your Judaism? And you'll see you live in decision mode. When it's good for you, when it's easy, when it's working, when everything's flowing, when he's when things are like going your way, you know, you're in. But as soon as stuff starts hitting the fan, or other options come, or you're suddenly like being lured into this, that, or the other kind of relationship that might be like really far from where you belong. Oh, you got all these reasons, and then you're gone. So, like, you're totally what's called reasonable, and what this is called is unreasonable, right? There's nothing under that word commit. Yeah, the, I'll get nothing under there, sorry. Un, 
unreasonable. There's nothing under that word commit. I'm in. Everyone say the word I'm in. Amen. Say it again. I'm in. Amen. Together. One, two, three. Amen. I'm in. You want to have a great Yom Kippur? Be in. Think about it. You're going into Yom Kippur, hoping to connect, trying to connect, you know, with this commitment in the future when you've been so clearly living in decision mode this whole time. You're only in when it works for you. Meaning you are reason able. Like you have computer things where in settings you can enable something. So you are reason enabled, otherwise known as what? Reasonable. You have been a reasonable Jew. When it works for you, when the reasons add up, you're in. When it doesn't work for you, and you got or you got reasons otherwise, you're out. So we're going into a new year. I'm telling you to commit to it just like you take a shower. No one's gonna skip showers. Just no one's gonna skip showers just because they're gonna get dirty again. So commit to your Yom Kippur Tshuva. That's number one. Number two is realize that you've been living in decision mode in everything you've been doing. Your work, your relationships, your Judaism, your parents, spouse. You've been living in this world. That world's nothing to count on. There's nothing you can count on because new reasons come and you're gone. And God has no one to count on. So those of you who want to complain that God hasn't been behind you, well, who's he got to be behind? There's no one to count on. Some of us feel like God's been kind of like not really so involved in our lives. Well, how involved can you be with someone who's here today and gone tomorrow? God gets behind committed people. God favors committed people. You get what's called LSD, Large Siata Deshmaya. Large Siata Deshmaya means you get large, big, divine providence in your life. You want large Siata Deshmaya, you want divine providence in your life? Get committed in your life. God always backs committed people. And you all know it, by the way, in your own lives, because there are things you have been committed to that were even against the odds, and you always got it. There's been things you were committed to. It was against the odds. Things were looking bad. But because you stayed committed, you got it. Because God favors committed people. Live your life that way. Shana Tova. Okay, for those who need a break, we'll take a quick break. Oh. But we're going to start questions right away. So if I'll mention you, Rabbi If Nekemar's you want to get the seven questions. Rabbi Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Rabbi Nekemar is one of uh, Asia Tour's premier international teachers. He's uh, wearing his mountain bike jersey right now, so that this isn't his normal rabbinic attire. Uh, You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.